Well, good morning, Gospel Hope. I'm tired. After that worship service, my hands hurt and my voice hurts. I don't know if I can finish up here. Well, praise the Lord. We are back in our series here in the book of 1 Corinthians in a very familiar passage here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is affectionately known as the love chapter, and for good reason. Uh, As you read through 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, Paul draws our attention over and over to this idea of love. And I'm going to get here at the end. So it's going to be like teachy at the front end and preachy at the back end. Okay, so that's where we're going with that. So I'm like warming up for about a half an hour and then we'll get where we're going at the end. But I want to remind us of something, even though this is a familiar passage of scripture and it is a familiar concept that is love, the Christian life actually has a centripetal force to it. You say, what do you mean by that, Pastor Ryan? Well, it essentially means that the Bible consistently calls us back to the center, namely the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. At Gospel Hope, we like to say that the gospel, the work of Christ on behalf of sinners, it's not just the diving board into the pool, it's the whole pool. So we never move on from the work of Jesus. We never outgrow our need for the gospel. We never get past it. It's not just the ABCs. It is the A to Z. So what we're going to try to do this morning is call ourselves through this passage of scripture to love one another, but it's really rooted in the love that God has for us. So the title of the message is simply this, an ode to love. Isn't that lovely? Let's pray and then we'll dive into the text this morning. Father. We need you. And we thank you for the great truths that we have already sung. We thank you for the joy that has been in our hearts as we have celebrated the work of Christ on behalf of sinners like us. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things from your law. Lord, would you hide me this morning behind the cross of Christ? And would you, by your spirit, speak powerfully to your people? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. There are some experiences and affections that are so deep that it feels like they must be expressed. This is why those in love write poems or songs, even if they're bad. How many of you have written a bad song or poem before? Come on, truth confessions here. All right, the rest of you are liars, okay. This is why grandparents pull out their phones or their photos and show you pictures of their grandbabies, whether you ask for them or not. They are showing you those little children because they love them so much and they have to express that love for them. This is why churches gather together and sing their guts out because there are things so deep and so joyful in our heart that it's not just appropriate to say them or chant them. We have to sing them and we have to sing them loud and clap our hands. This is why photos on videos of family vacations and mountain ranges and and ocean views and cats are all over social media. I don't understand the cat aspect, but I get the other ones. The idea is this. We, We get it that there are some things so deep that we don't feel satisfied until we let them out, right? Or or if I could put it this way, satisfaction is meant to be shared. Satisfaction is meant to be shared. 
That is, when you or I experience wonder or excellence or beauty, there is something deep inside of us that demands that we express it to others. And I think that's exactly what's happening in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. For 12 chapters through the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul has been dealing with problems and issues and difficulties. And he's going through this over and over and over again. And then finally he gets to 1 Corinthians 13 and he cannot contain it anymore. He has to share this beautiful picture of the solution to the problem. He deals with division over favorite teachers. He deals with... um, sin in the church. He deals with believers taking one another to court. He deals with misconceptions about marriage, about selfishness when it comes to matters of liberty, about abuses of the Lord's table, about the role that traditions and customs play in corporate worship, about the necessity of depending on one another to see Christ's mission fulfilled. And Paul just can't hold it in anymore. He's like, look, the solution to all of these things, it's one word and it is love. How many of you remember the old little pullback cars? How many of you had one of those when you were a kid? And the thing was with the pullback car, it was you would pull it back and you would start to feel the tension build in it, right? And then it would get to a point and it would start to go click, 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 and then it would make that last click. And you knew at that time, what was your job? Let it rip. And I think that's what Paul has been doing for 12 chapters. He's been addressing all of these issues. He's been kind of walking through them, and he's like, look, I'm waiting to unload on all y'all. I've got something coming. It's a solution, and the solution is love. And the reason we know that, that Paul has kind of changed his direction is because up to this point in the book of 1 Corinthians, he's been talking in a very epistolatory nature. That's a fun word, Pastor Rod and I. We just like to say epistolatory all the time, right? We just sit in my office and exchange epistolatory phrases. But that basically means he's just, he's just teaching through the book. And then you get to 1 Corinthians 13, and it's no longer just a regular dialogue. He burst into prose. He can't contain himself anymore. He has to talk about this wonderful thing called love because he sees it as addressing the 1 Corinthians problem. He is so jazzed up that he virtually breaks into song. Which leads me to my point this morning, which is simply this. And I think Paul's invitation to us. We must appreciate the greatness of love. Now, I use that word appreciate very intentionally here because I don't think Paul wants us just to affirm the greatness of love. You know, let me take a quick poll right now. How many of you would say that love is an important thing? Raise your hand. You know, unanimous. Nobody walked in this morning thinking like, hey, is love a big deal? No, we all know like in our heart that love is a big deal. But Paul wants us more than to just affirm the importance of love. He wants us to appreciate the importance of love. Uh, I was in Nashville a couple weeks ago, and I was attending a conference there. And my hotel was a couple blocks away from the conference. So I'd leave my hotel and walk over to the conference, and I would see these, these buildings and locations in Nashville that I knew had some sort of historical country music significance. I'm not a country music buff. But I'm walking down the street, and I see Ryman Auditorium. 
And I'm like, oh, that name kind of rings a bell. I was just kind of like affirming the fact that that is an important place in the history of country music. And I'd see another place, and it was some name of a location. And I'm like, that sounds vaguely familiar to me. I affirmed that that was an important place. But I didn't necessarily appreciate it. Now, on the other hand, as I was walking, I also saw these buses driving up and down the street in Nashville. And on the bus, there would be a person with a loudspeaker. And as the the buses were going up and down the street, the person on the loudspeaker was informing the people, oh, so-and-so was discovered here. You know, Elvis once sang here. This record was, was recorded here. And all of a sudden, the people on the bus were not just affirming the importance of these locations, they were appreciating the importance of these locations. Do you see the difference? And I think that's what Paul wants us to do this morning. He doesn't want us to just say, oh, love is important. He wants us to say, oh, love, it's a beautiful thing. It's an important thing. It's a gift of God, and it should be in and through all of my life. So Paul, in one sense, is functioning as our tour guide and making a few stops along the way to show us exactly why you and I should appreciate love. So I want to, this morning, take us on a tour of love's greatness and highlight three stops along the way why you should see that love should be appreciated in your life. The first one is simply this, the priority of love. You should appreciate love because biblically it is a priority. Look at verse number one. If I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noising gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions and I have to give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. In Paul's mind, even when what appear to be amazing spiritual acts are performed, if they are done without love, they are ultimately empty. In other words, Paul's kingdom mathematics, Paul's calculus would go something like this. Great deeds... Minus love equals nothing. You can do the greatest spiritual things, but if they are not undergirded and seasoned and overshadowed by love, then they are ultimately empty and meaningless in the Apostle Paul's mind. So this should be raising the question among all of us, well, what does it mean to do something in love then? I think that it means simply this. That whatever we do, whenever we act, we should not ultimately be about pleasing ourselves, but we should be about encouraging, blessing, and serving others. I think that's what it means to act with love. To foremost think of other people and how we can encourage, bless, and serve them. In fact, this idea, this motivation for love is repeated throughout the New Testament. John chapter 15, verse number 13. No one has greater love than this, okay? What, what is this, an act of love? To lay down his life for his friends. And others, you're thinking of others instead of yourself. Romans chapter 12, verse number 10. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Well, how do we do that, Paul? Well, take the lead in honoring one another. 
Or 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. Everything is to be done for what purpose? For building others up. In other words, to put it very plainly, love should be in and through everything that we do. When we make it act, we should be saying, how can I encourage? How can I bless? How can I support? How can I help someone else? Perhaps the reverse of what Paul says in in the first three verses would be helpful for us. Let me kind of use a modern translation. This is a paraphrase of verses one through three. If I or Pastor Rod preach the most engaging sermon or your community group leader or your DNA group leader or you lead a Bible study that is the most interesting that has ever happened, but you do it to impress others, then you're just making noise. If you sing or play an instrument skillfully, or you give insightful counsel, or pray passionately, but you do it to gain recognition, you're nothing. And if you give a large donation, or serve every week on a ministry team, but you do it so that other people will think highly of you, you gain nothing. In other words, Paul is simply re-emphasizing what the Bible consistently teaches Both what you do and why you do it is critical. If I could put it very simply, motive matters. You could do all the right things for the wrong reasons. And ultimately, Paul says, if you do great acts, but they're not motivated by love, they are nothing. The Corinthians were getting sidetracked with all kinds of things because they were more focused on pleasing themselves than on on serving others. And we would do well to heed this counsel. Church, we must be more concerned with following God's way than getting our way. What does that mean? It means that really loving acts should be happening all the time in our lives. Things that no one but God will ever notice. You might never get a pat on the back for it. There might be no recognition for it, but you are consistently just laying your life down for someone else. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your child. Maybe it's your coworker. Maybe it's a church member. Maybe it's a neighbor. But you're just consistently saying, I am motivated by love because I don't want even my good deeds to be nothing. I want them to count. And that means I have to be motivated primarily by loving, serving, and blessing Others, Because if we don't have love in our acts, according to the scripture, Paul is saying, you could do the greatest spiritual thing. I could preach the greatest sermon. Pastor Rod could preach the greatest sermon in the world. And thousands of people could come to know Christ. And if it is not motivated by love, according to the apostle Paul, he says, it is what? Nothing. Nothing. So the first stop on our tour is simply this. We must recognize that we must be motivated by love, the priority of love. You say, okay, Ryan, can you delve into what that looks like a little bit more? Can you show me kind of a portrait of love? And that's our second stop on the tour. The portrait of love. Libraries have been filled with comments about verses 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. It doesn't envy. It's not rude. It doesn't boast. All of these things. But I want to make just three kind of observations about this text briefly about what does love look like in action. And they all have the word best in them. Can you say that? The word best. First thing I want you to note about love is this, is love gives the 
best. What do I mean by that? It just treats others well. It treats others as best as it possibly can. Verse number four, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not irritable. And it does not keep a record of wrong. Wouldn't you like to be treated that way? Wouldn't you like others to treat you in that way? Yes, because that is ultimately loving. It's trying to give people the best that you possibly can. And it's certainly a simple idea. Well, just be loving. Well, yeah, that's simple, but it's by no means easy. Treating others with love means that we fight to hear rather to be heard. Is that challenging? Treating others with love means that we smile rather than scowl. You ever got to tell your face what to do? Treating others with love means we forgive and forgive and forgive again rather than hold a grudge, which is really easy to pick up, but it's hard to put down, right? Treating others with love means we speak with grace rather than be masters of the art of the subtle jab. Anybody perfected that? You have a black belt in passive aggression. It's not loving because love gives others the best. Think of just how this simple idea, I'm going to give you the best. Every conversation, every interaction, every attitude towards you, I'm going to give you the best. And if you do that, how would it transform marriages and parenting and friendships and working relationships and even the dreaded extended family relationships? Loving others is essentially approaching every interaction with the posture of Jesus. Mark chapter 10, for the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What did Jesus do? He always gave others the best. He laid down his preferences. He laid down himself to bless others. That's the first thing in the portrait of love. The second thing is this, love seeks the best. I think that is actually a good definition of biblical love. When we say love biblically, I think we mean we are seeking the highest good of another person. And that's really important for those of us who believe the Bible to do that because there are a whole bunch of definitions of love in our culture, right? Like if you say the word love, you say, what what does love mean out on the street? Some people are going to say, well, love means this warm feeling of affection that I have for someone. Or if you say love out on the street, some people might say, well, love means that you're attracted to another person, even physically so or romantically so, you are attracted to them. Or, or love means that you really affirm everything somebody do, does. In essence, man, if you really loved me, then you would support me. Now, there's an element of truth in all of those words, and they're not completely inappropriate. But I think a real definition of biblical love is that we seek the highest good of another, which means actually that we don't just affirm other people in whatever they do. Um, let's suppose today you're going out after church and heading to your car. And as you're heading there, one of the 10,000 little ones that just went around the corner is running past you. And you put your head up and you see coming right around the corner, there's another car. Now, let me ask you a question. Is it loving to affirm that child in that moment? No, that's actually the most unloving thing that you could do. Love would say, what? What word would you say? Stop. 
You may even grab them. You may even scoop them up. You may even say it rather passionately. Stop! Don't go that way. Why? It's not because you're being cruel. It's actually because you are being loving and affirming what is true. If you go that way, you are going to get hurt. And friends, isn't that how our God loves us anyway? Weren't all of us heading headlong to hell? Running a million miles a minute and God in his grace and mercy says, I love you so much that I am bold enough to say to you, stop. Repent. If you go that way, it will lead to your destruction. And in love, I am saying, do not go that way. Friends, if we really love people, we cannot detach biblical love from biblical truth. Those things cannot be severed from one another. Biblical love cannot be separated from biblical truth. Now listen, hear me well. We need to be people of love and truth or grace and truth as the Bible talks about. If you're a truth person, don't be a jerk. Like, just don't be a jerk. The, 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 the text says love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't both. It just, there's a gentleness. There's a kindness that's marked by love. But ultimately, if we really love people, there are certain realities that we have to share with them. Namely this, there is one way to heaven and his name is Jesus Christ. Does that grade on modern sensibilities? Yes or no? We have to say sin is a reality. And if you don't repent, there's judgment for sin. Is that a popular message today? No, we have to say that Christ is the one and only way and all who, come to G, all who come to the Father must come through the means of Jesus. These are not popular sentiments, but I would argue they are loving sentiments. And therefore, brothers and sisters, if we're to be loving people, we cannot get untethered from biblical truth. Love seeks the best for people. And that means with tears in our eyes, sometimes we will say, I love you so much that I can't affirm what you're doing. I love you enough. I love you so much that I have to say, if you don't put your hope in Christ and Christ alone, you cannot be saved. I'm sorry. My heart aches for you. I desire your repentance, but love demands that I tell you the truth. Third thing, love not only gives the best and seeks the best, but love finally believes the best. Look at verse number seven. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I love this part, and I think it's often overlooked. In one sense, biblical love is intrinsically optimistic. It gives people the benefit of the doubt. It's charitable in its judgments. It's hopeful in its outlooks. So if we are to be really loving people, it means that rather than assuming negatively, we assume positively. Rather than approaching others with skepticism, we, we, we approach them with optimism. Rather than quitting when others fail, we persevere. Rather than believing change is impossible, love is full of hope. If you look at somebody and say they can never change, that's ultimately not loving. Because love believes all things. And by the way, you were one of those people too. If we are really loving people, we should believe that hope is all, or change is always possible. 
That is the nature of love. So I don't know what dark valley you may have walked in or how it may have clouded your your view of God or your outlook on life. But remember this, loving people essentially say this, God's grace is sufficient. And they may say it with gritted teeth. God's grace is sufficient. And I believe that in my life and I I believe it in Ed's life too. Even if Ed has hurt me, which he hasn't. And I believe it in Caleb's life and that's even harder. (laughs) And I'm not gonna say anything about Marvin, not a word. I'm fighting to believe. Do you see what I mean by that? that that's what believing the best means. It, it, it says we have this outlook that love bears all things, endures all things, hopes all things. We believe that God's grace is sufficient because it was sufficient in our life and it's certainly sufficient for other people as well. So the last stop on our tour here is Paul's stop on the permanence of love. We should appreciate love, yes, because it's a priority and without it, we're nothing. We should appreciate love because of the portrait, the beautiful portrait that the Bible portrays of it. And finally, we should appreciate love because it is lasting. Look at verse number eight. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now, right now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Now remember, the Corinthian church was a gifted group of people. Paul says in chapter 1, like, you got it all. You got the full litany of gifts. These were a talented bunch, as it were. And they, because of that, kind of obsessed over these gifts. And Paul comes in, he's like, now, hold up, wait a minute. Listen, I want to tell you something. Those gifts of God, they're, they're a blessing. But there's something even better than those gifts. It's the grace of God. Faith and hope and love. Or if I could put it very simply... Grace is more durable than gifting. Yes, prophecy and tongues and wisdom were amazing things, but they are fading. But love, love will remain. Child of God, there is coming a day. It's not here yet. But there is coming a day when we will really have no more, no more need from kind of secondary revelation from God. Like the Bible in one sense, one day, will become somewhat irrelevant. Why? Because we won't need the mediated word of God. We won't need someone to speak to us to tell us what God said because God himself will be in our midst. We will be with God. And you want to know what he says? All you have to do is just tune your ears in. He is saying right now, you're just looking through a mirror and you're seeing a dim reflection. But one day, one day, there is coming a day when you will be face to face in the presence of God. No more echoes, no more shadows, but God will be with his people and it will be forever. And what is more? 
There's some people I don't want to spend forever with. You know what I'm saying? Let's remember what 1 John says, that God is what? Love. And so the presence of God will be forever the fellowship of love. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been enjoying this fellowship of love for all eternity. Eternity upon eternity. Forever, which you can't get your mind around, but I'm trying right now. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have been forever dwelling in perfect unity and harmony and looking at one another and enjoying love upon love upon love, seeing perfection in one another. And when we enter the presence of God once and for all, we are invited into that fellowship in an unprecedented way. Yeah, we see glimmers of it here today. I think we saw glimmers of it even this morning. As we worship the Lord, as we sit among the people of God, and we say, these are my brothers and sisters. But one day, these people will be your brothers and sisters in a way that they aren't quite yet. One day, God will be your father in a way that he isn't quite yet because you will be in his presence forever. The, the end of the story is coming, and it is a good one. You know, this... Uh, past year, I, I had the opportunity to take uh, my family on a vacation down to St. Simon's Island. This is right down in the south of Georgia. And we were out in the ocean one night, and the waves that night were particularly high. I mean, they were coming in really good. And we had, we had boogie boards with us. So we kind of swam out there a good way from the shore. And if you caught it just right, you would hit one wave and then another wave and then another wave, and it would ride you all the way into the shore. And what happened was kind of this, like you'd get that first wave and you'd be like, yeah, this is awesome. And then you'd hit the second wave and you'd get this stupid smile on your face. And then by the time you get the third wave and you're riding in, you're like, you're laughing hysterically. And we'd all jump up and laugh and say, do it again. And we'd run back out there. I think in one sense, that's a picture of what's going to happen to us in heaven. We're going to get to know the Lord and to be with him face to face. And a wave of love will wash over us. And we will be like, that was amazing. And right behind that, guess what's coming? Boom, another one. And you'll get this stupid grin and look around at everybody else and say, that was amazing. It can't get any better than this. And boom, another one's coming. And wave after wave after wave of God's love will shower over you for all eternity and love will never end. Amen. Have you ever felt loved before? Is it good? It won't stop in heaven. As it says in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, we will forever be going further up and further in into the love of God forever and ever and ever and ever. I has not seen nor ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love his appearing. Love is our destiny, child of God. You are destined to forever love God and be loved by God. So you might hear all that and say, Ryan, I'm with you. That sounds good. But I didn't come in here this morning asking, should I love because how many of, in here, of us in here know we should love other people? Raise your hand. Okay. If you didn't raise your hand, let's get a counseling appointment set up because you messed up. All right? We all know that we should love. 
the question that we really are asking ourselves is this. Can I love? Because frankly, loving other people isn't so easy. I mean, I don't know about you, but I love me some me. I am my number one fan, and I would venture to say that you are your number one fan. We are all, by nature, selfish people. We love ourselves. And so this call to serve, bless, encourage, die to ourselves, give ourselves for other people, be like the Savior, that sounds like a high order because that neighbor blocked your parking spot again this morning. That boss changed your expectations again this week. That relative feels every day of his life that it's important to post every thought they have ever had on social media. And that just makes you mad. That acquaintance feels obliged to share their very strong and very different political opinions with you every time they see you. That little one who you have told to do the same thing 474 times continues not to do it. Now, you want to test your love. You, you try to love one of these toddlers. I mean, my daughter, Lila, she is cute. She is bad. <laughs> that friend in your life, you know, the one who always takes and never gives, sometimes it's not as easy to love as just reading 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? So where does this power to love come from? Well, I got good news for you. John chapter 15. Just before Jesus heads to the cross, he's saying a, a parting word to his disciples, and he uses this powerful analogy. Verse number 5 of John chapter 15. I am the vine, and you are the branches. And the one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. In other words, Jesus is saying to his disciples, like, if you want to produce life and love and care for one another, you have to stay connected to me. And then he goes a step further and says, and by the way, apart from me, you can do nothing. Like a branch severed from the vine, it's, it's dying. It can't do anything. But if we somehow stay connected to Jesus, then his power, his life, his love flows through us. Skip down a couple verses and Jesus adds some dimension to this. As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Then he makes this statement, remain in my love. All right, so what does that mean? What does it mean to remain in the love of God? I think it means, at least in part, that the way that we stay connected as branches to the vine, to Jesus, is that we remember that we have first been loved by God. I think that's what it means to remain in the love of God. Not to just love others well. We'll get to that in a minute but to remember that we fundamentally have been loved. I don't know about you, but as simple as that sounds, as basic as that reality sounds, I have been loved by God. I have problems with my spiritual short-term memory. 
I wake up every morning and I kind of almost ask myself this question, am I really loved? Does God really love me? Where you been lately? We are all, as the song says, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. So I want to right now, just maybe for a moment, give us a little spiritual vaccination, if you will. A little shot in the arm to remember the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I don't have to paint any elaborate analogy or give you an illustration. I think I'll let God speak for himself. John chapter 3, verse number 16. For God loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Romans chapter 5, verse number 8. But God proves his own love for us in that. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love he has for us, made us alive in Christ even though we were dead in our sins. I'm just getting started. First John chapter 3 verse number 16. This is how we have come to know love. How? He laid down his life for us. First John 4 chapter 9. The best one. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Listen, folks, love consists in this. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. If you have trusted in the work of Christ, church, you have been loved. And if you have received that type of love, it enables you to love other people, even the hard ones. We need to bask in the love of God that has been manifest to us through the work of Christ Jesus, our Lord, child of God. You are loved. Yeah, you're a sinner. Yeah, you're broken. Yeah, you fail. Yeah, you're weak. Yeah, you're inadequate. Yes! But God's love is the trump card over all of those things. Grace is greater than our sin. His healing is greater than your brokenness. His love is better than your mess. You know, there's an expression going around today. Hurt people. What's it say? And I think that's true enough. But could I offer an amendment? Could I maybe give a suggestion that I think has a little more biblical teeth to it? And it is simply this, Church of God. Loved people, love people. Loved people, love people. And if you first and foremost know that you have been loved, then you can love. So will you get on your feet right now? I'm going to pray over us, and then I want us to worship this God who has loved us so well. We 
have been loved, so we have been enabled to love. Oh God, we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you that he has demonstrated his love for us. Lord, I pray that right now we would be aware of the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And that would enable us to be patient and kind and not envy and not boast and not be arrogant and not be rude. But to, like our Savior, lay down our lives for others. Lord, help us to love as we have been loved. Amen. Now listen, we're going to sing. But if you have not tasted that love, listen, you are in a community of love right now. And right after the service, Pastor Rod or I or anybody here at Gospel Hope would love to talk to you about how you can know the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. There is nothing better that we would like than for you to experience the great love that Christ has for broken, fallen people like you and I. So please talk to us. Let's worship the God of love right now.